Hi, friends. Thank you for tuning in to the City Church Lenten podcast series we are calling Again and Again, God's Sacred Refrain. During this series, we will emphasize that God who meets us, comes to us, never gives up on us, and is for us again and again. During Lent, we are also being invited into the spiritual practice of walking with Jonathan Stahls of Intrinsic Paths. Each week, Jonathan will be sharing a podcast, video, and list of resources to help you on your journey of walking through Lent. You can find out more at citychurchsf.org walking. Again, thank you for listening to this series. And if you would like to support the work of City Church, you can do so by visiting our website at citychurchsf.org give. Finally, we would love to see you at our weekly live stream service at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch. Grace and peace to you in this season of Lent. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we gather together to focus, help us to put aside distractions, help us to to get into a place where we can hear you. And we ask that you would help us to have receptive hearts. We ask that you would help us to believe that you see us, you know us in all of our contradictions and all of our getting it and not getting it and all of our need of grace. Your response is always to move towards us, to love, heal, and restore. And so help us in the confidence of that, to rest in your present and to be present to your presence right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 46 days, that's Lent. 46 days minus six Sunday feast days, and you get 40 days of Lent. 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness. It's why the church 
all over the all over the world today will be looking at this passage of Jesus in the wilderness. But did you know that's how Lent's broken down? That whenever you're fasting from in Lent, if you are, Sunday is actually not a day to do it. Throughout Lent, once a week, we were reminded of the resurrection, and so we feast. But the church all over the world today, again, will be starting with Jesus in the wilderness being tested by the devil. So I have three T's for you today. Timing, testing, and truth. First, I want you to see the timing in this wilderness temptation that Jesus has. It occurs right after his baptism. As one commentator has said, Jesus' hair is still wet from his baptism when he's led into the desert. The voice from heaven saying, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I'm well pleased, is still ringing in Jesus' ears. The text tells us that Jesus was actually led by that same spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's what it says in the book of Matthew. So just think about Jesus for a second in the desert. Think about him in the wandering. Think about him out there in solitude. You ever been in that kind of space before? Maybe some of you are spending a lot of time in that space right now where you really feel 100% alone, or maybe you've been on a deserted beach or a desert, a mountain trail, you can finally hear yourself breathe. This is where Jesus is. And I want you to see him there for just a moment. What's he doing? Perhaps each day he's, he's standing to pray. Maybe perhaps also imagine the devil watching him, waiting even. Maybe halfway through those 40 days, Jesus is sitting to pray. And then eventually at the end, he's laying on the ground perhaps, praying because the text goes to great lengths to emphasize and to make sure to tell us that Jesus was famished. Jesus felt the hunger. Being the beloved in whom God is well pleased does not exempt Jesus from feeling hunger, from feeling sickness, from feeling pain. It did not exempt him from that. The text says he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards was famished. This is where the temptation starts. When Jesus is famished, when he's out of resources, that's when the devil thinks he might have something that may be of help. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says that Jesus was tempted like us in every way, yet is without sin, which is why it can go on to say that he sympathizes with our weaknesses. So the test comes about in the midst of despair. And so the question is, in what ways today are you famished? I know so many of us right now are famished for human interaction, for touch, for hugs, for in-person conversation. In what ways do you feel desperate? I would suggest to you that it is in these very moments that we are most susceptible to take matters into our own hands. And it's also in these very moments that God can do some of God's greatest work in our lives. It's in these moments that we can forget the most important truths that will lead us into life or remember those important truths. These moments are also when we are most tempted to swim in what I call the most dangerous water there is, the sea of self-pity. It is in that sea often where anything is possible. And in those moments, there has to be a way that we're cleaning out our ears, waking up as best we can, and trying to do, I think, to do exactly what I believe Jesus did in the temptation wilderness. 
he remembered his, and we must remember our, baptismal identity. Author, speaker, um, pastor Nadia Bowles-Weber talks about identity in this way. Identity, it's always God's first move. Before we do anything wrong and before we do anything right, God has named and claimed us as God's own, God's beloved. But almost immediately, other things try to tell us who we are and to whom we belong. Capitalism, the weight loss industrial complex, our parents, kids at school, they all have a way of, they all have a go at telling us who we are. But only God can do that. Everything else is temptation. Everything else is temptation. Everything else, everything that tells us that we're less than, fallen from, short of, not enough of, too much of, all temptation. Everything that fails to recognize the utter belovedness of every single human being, all temptation. Everything that wants to take the experience of God's transforming love and contain it, in a dogma or a creed or a doctrine or a rubric or an order or a canon or a construct or book, all temptation. It's in those moments of desperation and famine where you have the potential of doing a deep dive into what really is driving the restlessness of your life, the anxiety of your life, the depression of your life. I remember my therapist saying to me in a particular anxious season of my life, he said, Fred, whenever you begin to feel that way, I want you to go look in the mirror and, and tell that little boy it's going to be all right. Hmm. Because the desperation of the despair or the despair that you feel may not actually be about those things that you can see and observe. They may be something else within you, deep in your bones, that's calling out for relief to be talked about in a place of safety and confidence. So how is despair happening in your life? Will you allow yourself to feel it and not just rush to relieve it? To ask what it might have to teach you. See, that's a good Lenten question to ask. What am I doing in the midst of my famine right now? So that's the timing. Second T, testing. When we see the tempter saying, if you are the son of God, I want you to hear a snarky way of saying, really? You're the son of God? I've got all sorts of ideas for you, son of God, and how you might use your power. Because I think that's what's really going on with the testing of Jesus. It's all about power, the misuse of of everyday power, of religious power, of political power. So hear the serpent saying, or hear the devil saying, you're hungry right now, aren't you? You're hungry. Command these stones to be turned into bread. Practice a little magic to feed yourself. Do that, because with power, the temptation to feed ourselves first is palpable. The tempter says, I know how to use your power. Use it to get as comfortable as possible. So we can talk about a U.S. senator heading to Cancun in the midst of a disaster in his state. Or we can talk about how we also do this same thing in less public ways. To, 
to, to give in to the idea that your power is for you, yourself, and you. Use it accordingly, is the advice of the tempter. And then again, I've got another idea the tempter says. Use your power to test God. Use your power to do this circus spectacle of throwing yourself off this building. And God will come and scoop you up after all. Just think of all the new followers you'll get as a result. You want that blue check mark? Here's your chance. And the phrase, the pinnacle of the temple, is so interesting. I think it symbolizes the top of the religious world itself. And Jesus is tempted to play games with God. Throw yourself off and he'll catch you. And then we have the only time in the Bible where the devil actually quotes Scripture. Holy words can be used for evil purposes. This we know. This second temptation seems to be an overreach. And maybe it's an overreach on your certainty about your beliefs in God. It's the idea that you can think of yourself as having arrived, as being even spiritually superior to others at the top of the religious world with absolute certainty that God can be manipulated to fit your agenda. Hmm. That's one to think about. I've got another idea, the tempter says. Use your power expansively. I'll tell you what. Take control of all the kingdoms of the world. Let's create an inauguration for you now to be president of the world. Your power must be always used to expand, to dominate, and take over. Manifest destiny, the doctrine of discovery, colonization, insisting that my way is the only way to dress, to make music, to make money, to raise kids. All of these find their roots in this temptation. It strikes at our base fear that we are not enough and do not have enough. And so we must do everything we can in our power to make sure we do. And the tempter adds one caveat, just bow the knee to me and you can have all of this, which tells us that constructing a life of constant expansion is a sure way to lose your soul. I think Jesus said it almost exactly like that now that I think about it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Might I add one more thing? For so many of us here who are in the midst of an anti-racism journey, look for how white supremacy is built actually on this premise, this temptation to take, to dominate, and expand at all costs, rooted in deep-seated fear and anxiety. See, what I see under a lot of this testing and all of our temptation is a subtle subtext. And that subtle subtext might be, you deserve better than this. You deserve better than what God has given you. Why should the Son of God be famished? Why do without? I think a lot of our temptations are a way to get us to shop around for another voice from heaven that will tell you that you're okay. Or another way of putting it, all temptations are ways we try to exempt ourselves from being human. 
And what I want you to hear today is that Jesus, in the midst of this temptation, insisted on being human, insisted on being Emmanuel, God with us. Instead, insisted on feeling all of it, that God's beloved would not practice magic, won't ask for special protection. He will remain human. He will insist upon it. Jesus is saying, I will not exempt myself from the pain of what it means to be human because I want to know exactly how it feels so that you can know that God has truly become one of us and truly sympathizes and truly invites you to God's throne of grace where you will find mercy in time of need. See, God may not explain all of your desperation, famine, and pain, but God has experienced it and will share it with you. I don't know how I can ask you, actually, to enter into a Holy Lenten season and do this kind of deep self-reflection if I don't say this right out of the start, that God knows what it's like to be human, to feel it. What about you? How often do you hear in your head, I just deserve better. Things should be easier for me. I should be happier. I should be richer. I should be safer. So I want you to know that I'm not saying that you don't have scenarios in your life or that where you actually shouldn't actually say that. I think it's, you do. I'm not saying that you stay, for example, with an abusive spouse or partner, for example. I was telling someone just the other day, you deserve to be loved for who you are and where you are in your journey. You deserve to be better treated. You deserve, absolutely. I'm not saying that you just tolerate everything that's happening around you. I'm just saying be careful. Because when the song of your life starts to become, I deserve better, I'm getting a raw deal. And if that becomes the only song of your life, I'm going to tell you that yes, insist on your dignity, insist on justice, insist on equity, and be careful. Because the holy inclination to insist, that's a holy inclination to insist on a life of dignity and justice, to work hard in your anti-racism work, to seek to dismantle white supremacy and all forms of oppression. These are all holy inclinations, holy endeavors, and if they get soaked in self-pity, they can turn into a dangerous cocktail. I think Jesus is looking at the dangerous cocktail head on. People do need stones to be turned into bread. People do need to be protected and caught in their free falls, whether self-inflicted or inflicted upon them. People do need holy, equitable, just leadership in the kingdoms of this world but our holy longings, unlike with Jesus, are often mixed with lust for power, revenge, and unholy alliances. So how might we, like Jesus, not be lured in? How might we keep our holy longings and discard our unholy temptations? That's also a good question to ask on the first Sunday of Lent. And then lastly, there is truth that has to be remembered. The timing, the testing, and now the truth. Jesus refuses to forget who he is as the beloved of God. I believe he repeatedly had to pull out his baptismal identity and that I am God's beloved. 
It had to be ringing in his ears because nothing the devil tempts Jesus with could alter or make him more beloved than he already is. And once that sinks in, you don't have to panic. There's an old theologian from years ago who used to say, faith is the refusal to panic. Faith is the refusal to panic. Think about that. Think about that. The psalmist says in Psalm 37, do not fret. It only leads to evil. <laughs> fret comes from the old English word fretten, which means to devour like an animal. When you fret over something, it consumes your thoughts. And so to get into that mind space is almost always a place where we can make some of our very worst decisions. And it's in that moment that we have to, again, push pause and remember, I am God's beloved child. I'm going to operate out of that. And if that's the case, I don't have to panic. I actually have nothing to prove. Again and again, God comes to us, and again and again, we have the opportunity to trust Him in new and fresh ways. Jonathan Martin, author and pastor, says, But that's one way we can identify the devil's voice. It always plays to our fears. It is the voice that tells us we must do something to prove who we are, to prove that we're worthy, to prove that we are who God has already declared us to be. When we know we are loved by God, we don't have to prove anything to anyone. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves more beloved than we are. So do you believe that this morning? Is the, if the song of your life right now tends to be, I deserve more and I'm not getting everything I need or deserve, if that song might be replaced by, I have a lot of legitimate pain in my life and it's difficult and Jesus sympathizes with that and I cry out for dignity, equity, and justice. And I also know this, I am God's beloved child. All will be well, and all manner of things will be well. If that were to happen, what do you imagine your life might look like? What it might become? So let me ask you something, friends. How is this sermon landing with you right now, I wonder? Maybe someone right now is saying, Really? Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted in every way? Does Jesus really know what it's like to try to have a career in this economy? Does Jesus know what it's like being lonely and not really seeing an end in sight? Does Jesus really know what it's like to go through a divorce and to feel the pain of that? Does Jesus know what it's like to raise children in a pandemic? Does Jesus know what it's like to be a child? in a pandemic? Does Jesus know what it's like to raise teenagers? Does Jesus know what it's like to be a teenager in 2021? Does Jesus know what living with chronic pain is like? Does Jesus know what it's like to suffer from a debilitating depression? Does Jesus know what it's like to be caught in a spiral of substance abuse, of coming clean and relapsing and getting clean and relapsing? 
Now, I don't think Jesus has experienced every one of those things. But I, what I do think is that Jesus knows what it's like to be human and to experience loss, and he is not exempt from pain, and he feels it deeply. In other words, I think Jesus empathizes. Empathizes. One person who's written more on empathy maybe than anybody I know is Brene Brown. I know so many of you enjoy her podcasts and her writings. She says this about empathy. Empathy doesn't require that we have the exact same experiences as the person sharing their story with us. Empathy is connecting with the emotion that someone is experiencing, not the event or the circumstance. Connecting with the emotion that someone's experiencing, not the event of the circumstance. It's simply listening, holding space, withholding judgment, emotionally connecting, and communicating that incredibly healing message of you're not alone. And therefore, Jesus comes to you. And I don't know if you think of Jesus this way. I wonder if you've ever started a prayer this way. Jesus comes to you as a fellow sufferer. I wonder if you've ever prayed, Lord Jesus, my fellow sufferer, I come to you now. Not simply a savior. If you make him just a savior, you're going to miss the way in which Jesus connects with empathy with you. And I think when you miss the empathy of Jesus, you might miss becoming empathetic yourself. What things in my life do I need to believe Jesus is meeting with empathy for me? That's another great question for the first Sunday of Lent. I like how Debbie Thomas sums up this story in the invitation it is to each one of us. And she says, At his baptism, Jesus heard the absolute truth about who he was. That was the easy part. The much harder part came in the wilderness when he had to face down every vicious assault on that truth. When the memory of his father's voice from heaven faded and he had to learn how to be God's beloved in a lonely wasteland. Maybe we, like Jesus, need long stints in the wilderness to learn what it really means to be God's beloved. Because the unnerving fact is, we can be beloved and uncomfortable at the same time. We can be beloved and unsafe at the same time. In the wilderness, the love that survives is flinty, not soft. Salvific, not sentimental. Learning to trust it takes time. And that is a Lenten journey. Whatever wilderness you find yourself in, again and again, God comes to us. And Jesus is saying on this first Sunday of Lent, in the midst of this pandemic wilderness, I want you to know something. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. I have a path for you. There will be tests. And it will not always give you what you want when you want it. But I will be with you so that you can learn over time to trust me and that you're going to be all right. Trust him because three years later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's going to pass a harder test than the same subject. 
and he will take his final exam upon the cross and enter the cold, dark tunnel of death instead of his father's warm and loving care. And he will trust in a silent and distant God without resorting to his superpower. He will submit to all that we endure, and he will ask of God no miracle to exempt him from the burden of ordinary human existence. And in so doing, he redeems the world. Trust me, Jesus says. If you trust me, it just might feel like angels coming to you and waiting on you. Amen. We're going to pray together right now today's collect. It's found in the first part of the worship folder, but we're going to put it on the screen. And let us pray this now together. God of trackless desert, whose son walked untamed in league with beasts and spirits, whose kingdom is not distant, but breaking in among us, give us time and space to find a new identity, to let go of control and walk the pilgrim way through Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation. Amen.